the revolution. It was televised, and it was spectacular. And you know the ITC is ready to break it all down for you. In this corner with Brian Campbell returns in a special instant analysis edition of New Japan Pro Wrestling's Wrestle Kingdom 12 card from Japan. I, the Brian Campbell, may be as washed as 50-year-old Kane in 2017 after waking up at 2 a.m. Eastern for the six-hour show, but you best believe I've got enough under juice remaining to deliver a dose of the performance-enhancing audio. My tag team partner on this journey, as promised, is the man who swears he has no ties with Mother Russia, the judge who won't budge. He's the Silver King, Adam Silverstein. Hey, now. That was a very I've been up all night, hey, now, but I'll take <laughs> it, Adam. Uh, I got two bottles right in front of me, right? Both are white. Both are filled with that milk of Magnesia. Both are ready to be doused Kurt Angle style at the Hall of Fame. But not maybe for the reasons I thought. If I can give you a quick 20-second synopsis of this card, fantastic, lived up to expectations. But to be honest, in my revolution-colored glasses, I thought we were going to exit this show talking almost exclusively about Omega Jericho and what's next and the impact that match and that performance had on this quote-unquote revolution. And instead, Adam, I'm talking about how top to bottom this was the best wrestling card I've seen in years. I can't give you an equivalent. You know, the best wrestling card of the last one, two, three years, no question about it. And I'm talking more about the other players in NJPW than even Omega Jericho. And that's no disrespect to them because that match delivered. It just delivered as a whole in different ways, and I am fired up about this. Yeah, I mean, I think we're on the same page now more than ever. Um, you know, it's always been a quote-unquote revolution for me. So to hear you go from the opening of the show to call it the revolution and then, you know, a couple minutes ago now, quote-unquote revolution, I mean, that that's what it is. Um, I will say that going into this pay-per-view, the expectation was that Jericho Omega would steal the show. Not that it would be the best match in terms of match quality, but that it would steal the show and it would be the headline and coming out of it, for me, the headline is Kazuchika Okada and uh, Tetsuya Naito. And I don't think that says anything bad, per se, about Omega Jericho, but it just really goes to show that it was more of a one-time thing than we might have – than some might have expected. Yeah, we don't want to jump too far in declaring Jericho's future without seeing first the card that will air on Friday morning live on New Japan World, and I heard it might actually be free – to non-subscribers, right. it's that New Year's Dash card, which is their equivalent to the Raw after WrestleMania, and it's known for having big swerves. So who knows what's going to happen with Jericho there. But as things stand right now, like you said, this was booked to feel as a one-off match. There wasn't Bullet Club storylines. There wasn't us coming out of this pay-per-view going, oh, my gosh, I got to see Jericho against this person. Instead, it was a match that was booked for one night that was fantastic and lived up to expectations. So... I don't think the revolution is over. I just think it's not being tied to one or two people. I think if New Japan wants to continue this revolution, this was actually a strong foot forward on this night because the whole roster shined top to bottom. Anybody that's a WWE fan that this was their first card, I don't see them exiting this with anything other than a top-shelf opinion about this product and where it could go. We're going to have little bones to pick about some of the presentation, about the English not being trans translated you know, from Japanese for Okada's promo at the end, some of that kind of stuff. But overall, Adam, I'm going to give this show a grade of, of a big fat A. I mean, this is exactly what we could have wanted. And I think for the revolution, again, to use that word, strong foot forward, just not, hey, this is only about Kenny Omega. Just like, hey, maybe this can be a competitor, but they still have certain things, of course, that they have to do. Yeah. Um, so in terms of grade, I'm there with you with an A. I don't want to say it didn't live up to expectations because it did, but we really – and this is our fault and the fault of many critics probably. After seeing Wrestle Kingdom 11 and some of the events, the G1 Climax, like this did not compare to the G1 Climax for me. That was an A-plus wrestling event. The Climax, top to bottom, Which, there were to be five honest, is, is three weeks or what, four weeks long. It's not one It's yeah. not one show. And that's what makes it even more incredible that it was that good for that extended of a period of time. So for me, this doesn't live up to it. I'll give it an A minus just to because I'm a little bit more pessimistic than you, uh, you know, by nature. But it was great. I had I enjoyed it. If this was your first NJPW card that you ever watched, you should have gone home happy. No question about it. Uh, we're going to break down match by match here. But just looking at the grades I gave, we do a grading system here at CBS Sports. 
you know, I'm just, I, I rank them in order of, of highest grade to the bottom, and I basically have like A, A minus, A minus, A minus, B plus, B plus, B minus, and a couple in the C's. That's gotta be the, you know, the, the biggest, uh, advertisement for how good this was, the biggest sticker you can put on it. It was like, there really wasn't a stinker to be found, Adam, and even the ones that maybe didn't live up to what it could have been or were marginally entertaining, we're still pretty damn good. So you have that going for you, but just that quality match to match the way some of these guys, including that main event, played with the crowd, played with your emotions. To me, this is everything I want out of wrestling. Like, yeah, it's missing some of the sizzle that WWE brings that nobody else can match. But I, in this day and age of this version of me of the fan, wants much more steak than I want sizzle. And this was all killer and no filler from the steak department. I mean, man, perfectly paced, right? Like everything about it, fantastic. Yeah, what you're saying, there's a lot of truth to what you're saying there. I think New Japan, and, and we'll probably get into this, I guess, at the end of the show, but they, if they want to cross over, truly cross over to an American audience, it can't just be the steak. There has to be sizzle there to captivate the audience that they bring in for special events, like bringing Chris Jericho onto this show. Like, in my opinion, basically, and we will touch on it at the end, they did not take advantage of the opportunity they had, you know, Thursday morning on January 4th at Wrestle Kingdom 12. That said, you, if you want to talk about what are you really looking for out of wrestling today, a lot of it's what NJPW brings. A lot of it still to me is what WWE brings. And probably NXT is as close to a middle ground as you're going to find True. between those two products. Now, the, the wrestling is great on NXT. It's not as good as it is in NJPW. I'm not saying that. But it, you get the sizzle. You get the steak, high-quality matches. It really is giving me almost the best of both worlds. So I love New Japan. You know, I'll always love WWE. But I don't know. I, I, I wish New Japan took adva better advantage of the opportunity they had today. Uh, yeah, good, good point. And one final question before we get into the specifics. Uh, I felt like this was that point I made a couple weeks ago after that press conference that we really liked with Jericho and Omega. This was pro wrestling to me, Adam. This wasn't sports entertainment. And there is that distinction. We know yes. Stone Cold Steve Austin loves that distinction. But that was very true here. I mean, this was very pro wrestling. And we didn't even see a lot of things that you could argue could have helped the show, like a lot of run-ins. There's, there's run-ins in, in NJPW, not the same level as WWE where it can be gratuitous, but it was almost like it was stripped down just to give you the in-ring product. There wasn't a lot of cheating. There wasn't a whole lot of match stipulations outside of like a haircut match. This was pretty much the straight and narrow of pro wrestling, and I think it feels really refreshing. It feels like the 80s in certain ways, and I think that it's got that potential to win over a lot of fans. So, so that's... You know, that's a thumbs up. It's literally the, in the name of the organizations. World Wrestling Entertainment, New Japan Pro Wrestling. They deliver what they promise based on their names. And this was more evidence of that than ever. All right, let's go a little bit match by match. Obviously, we're going to spend a lot less time on the lesser players and the opening lesser player. And I don't even know if you were awake for this, Adam, at 2 a.m., but I sure as heck was. I was right there with the coffee brewing for the New Japan Rumble, which is really a bootleg version of the Royal Rumble. And outside of some old guy pops, this was really, you know, this is the worst match on the card. Yeah, I uh, so I slept late on purpose. I'm actually about to drive over to Atlanta through the ice cold weather uh, today. So I needed to get some shut eye. Went to bed way earlier than I normally do. But I did catch up on a lot of these matches while the rest of the broadcast was going on. Thanks to some people on the Internet who may or may not have taken clips of the show and put them online. So long story short, uh, New Japan Rumble. You know, the, the pops are cool to hear of the fans, you know, go nuts over Jushin Thunder Liger. Um, Takamichinoku yes. was in that match. Masahito made his return. He's battling cancer. Um, so that obviously was a great feel spot for especially for Japanese fans. I thought it was cool. Yeah, I like that story of him doing that. And they're, they're talking about needing his, he needs to raise more money. A lot of good things that seem to come out of that appearance. Cheeseburger got a big pop coming in from Ring of Honor. But that was that. We got into the meat to open the card, which really was that junior heavyweight tag team match with the Young Bucks going over Rapongi 3K. That's Yo and Sho in a match that, to me, completely delivered on where you want your opening match to do to set the tone, right? Big spots. But it wasn't just a spot-heavy Young Bucks match. And I know the Young Bucks can draw the ire of a lot of WWE fans. And, Adam, you're one of them. People don't see the behind-the-scenes, but you're one of them where they can do that with their constant leaning on nostalgia too much. But this match, i got to give them credit. They stuck to the theme of selling lower back injuries on both sides. There was some fun, creative spots. It wasn't so much dropkick choreography spots. It was, in my money, just some well-played spots that ran together. This was a great opener. 
Yeah, I enjoyed the match, especially the use of submission, which is not something you always necessarily see in these matches with, you know, junior heavyweights is what um, NJPW calls it. Cruiserweights, obviously, is what WWE calls it, uh, lightweight division, you know, whatever. Um, I, I enjoyed it. I, I The Young Bucks are not my favorites. I like them more, their personalities uh, on being the elite and some of the things they show on Twitter, the way they talk to fans and stuff. Then I do like them in the ring. I, it just feels very forced to me. It always has. Um, I like flips and, you know, athletic maneuvers, aerial maneuvers when they are part of the match and are necessary and they're, and they're used at the right spots. Not when it's just constant the entire time. And that's what you get a lot from them. So it's more criticism of them than the match. The match was really good. I, I thought it was a, a B minus B match for me. I, yeah, I thought the, it was solid. The Young Bucks, which they've been the stars of this division since debuting with NJPW in 2013. They win the belts for the seventh time. I like some of the spots. You know, the, the back body drop for, uh, for Romero, the manager for Rapungi, uh, 3K on the ramp. We never saw from him again. A lot that I liked about this. It did set the tone. So there, there you go. There, there you go. Yeah, let's move on to the uh, never open weight six man tag team championship. That was next on the card. You had a team from Chaos going against Michael Elgin. And War Machine, then you had Suzuki Gun, Taguchi Japan, and the Bullet Club. They came in as the champions. This was a gauntlet match. Uh, and Chaos, uh, Beretta, Tomihiro Ishii, and Yoru Toru Yano all went over there. You know I'm a huge fan of Ishii. BC, what did you think of this match? And you know I'm a huge fan for Toriano and his antics, and we got one of those with the with the nut punch, if you will, to get the pin. Uh, you know, this match, the best thing you could say about it was quick moving. It wasn't awful, but it was a little bit clunky at times, the gauntlet style. One, you know, you get a pinfall, another team's coming running in right after that. Maybe it didn't use the large amount of, of participants. Some of these guys are really top names. It didn't use them effectively, but it was really a match that was designed to get everybody on the card who wasn't in a big feud to still to showcase them. Entertaining at best, not great by any means. Yeah, I'm with you there. Uh, completely agree. No reason to rehash it. Let's move I mean, on. Do you, to I mean, you want to see more Zack Saber? You want to see more Juice Robinson? You want to see Elgin? But you don't get that in this match. You get a lot of just you know running. No, through. it's a it's a WWE. Let's get everyone that's not in a feud onto a big match. I mean, that's what it is. The six team. You know, I think more important is the six man tag team championship itself. Is this something that attracts you? It, for me, it's fine. If WWE had one, considering how many three-man teams they have, quote-unquote fake factions is what I like to call them, because three people to me is no more intimidating than two. Um, I think a title like this would work in WWE, and I don't mind seeing the matches. But if you're going to do a six-man match, you can't do a 12-man match. Like it, It's just too much, too many bodies. And in this match, too many big bodies for it to really work for me. Yeah, the, the best thing they did was keep it short was very physical, and that was obviously a recurring theme throughout the night. I mean, when you sign up for NJPW, you are getting stiff work. It's one of the calling cards. That is true. All right, let's move on to one of the biggest matches of the night. I know you totally popped for it. It was Cody going against Kota Ibushi in a special singles match. It was originally going to be for the Ring of Honor World Heavyweight Championship. Cody ended up dropping that to Dalton Castle a couple weeks ago, I think, before this show. So it was a special singles match. Kota Ibushi went over Cody in this one. BC, how did this go down for you? Did you enjoy it? Well, so I was talking all week, all month, all couple months that this is the one that could steal the show. And here, you know, come on, guys. We're not the kind of guys to say we told you so, but we told you so. <laughs> the only reason I play that sound, Adam, is because there became a hipster argument the last few days, today, as the match was going on, on Twitter from people who just don't seem to like Cody, don't think he's a great wrestler, don't like what he's doing on the independents. And that's fine. Look, Cody's got some annoying sides to him. But Cody raised his game here to a level that I thought he could because Kota Ibushi's the better worker of the two. Kota Ibushi really might be the best worker in the world. Like, he's literally in that... AJ, Kenny Omega, Kazuchika Okada conversation, if we're really being honest with ourselves. He certainly showed that here. And where Cody lived up to his side of the billing, and I ultimately gave this an A-minus match because it was so well laid out, it was the psychology. Cody's shirt was sure as fine heck in some good spots here, but it was the psychology as a heel. He's got the dyed blonde hair for some movie role coming up, and he and Brandy Rhodes, his wife, really worked that heel gimmick. I loved the fake spot where she went down after Obushi went, did a flying spot outside the ring. She pretended that she was hurt. Him being the baby face, picked her up, consoled her. Cody comes through to knock him out. Brandy and Cody laugh together. That's what you want, because if you already kind of hate Cody and you're saying maybe he's not as good as the push and the, the attention that he gets on the independent scene, because some people are always going to, for him, he's always going to be either Dusty Rhodes' son 
or he's either, or he's going to be Stardust, right? Like to everybody, right? He's going to be one of the two. No, he is a really good, one of the best in the world, probably deserved more MVP votes for this year as a whole. You can argue that. But he did what he had to do with his intangibles. And I don't think that's where he gets the credit, Adam. He's not a five-star worker. He's not a a uh, top-shelf talker. But he has those really inte- really strong intangibles that you can't teach. Some of that he gets from WWE. Some of that, of course, he gets from being a Rhodes, right? And that shined in this match. And, man, did we have a gluttony of Ibushi moves that I, I'm sure you want to talk about. But to me, Cody did his part that he needed to do to make this an A-minus match. So, you're, you know, that was as good of analysis as you could get on this match. Cody, from a character standpoint, has improved drastically since leaving WWE. There's a confidence there. His wife, Brandy Rhodes, being with him and being someone that he can play off is huge. But BC... Sorry, he had, had, this, to throw that in. had to throw that in, all right? I mean, that's a legitimate sound effect. There's no, there's no problem there. But why don't you get another one queued up for me? Because as good as Cody was in this match... Let me tell you what this match was about. This is strong style. This is Kota Ibushi. Kota Ibushi. Now, we can talk Okada. We can talk Omega. I know Nick loves Omega, and for good reason. Kota Ibushi is the best wrestler on the planet. And oh, the reason this, I love that. Love that. Say yeah, that again. The, say that one and more the, time. And I'll tell you this. The reason this match was so good, it didn't really have much to do with Cody. It had to do with Kota Ibushi doing death-defying moves off the top rope and in the middle of the ring and over the ropes and through the ropes you know, consistently throughout the crossroads that Cody hit off that ring. Oh apron, my God. That's the spot of the night. That Adam, that's the spot of the night. Spot, spot of the night. You know who made it? Kota Ibushi made it. Like does, you it's know, uh, what's his name? Cody hit, Cody hit the move. Kota sold the move. Um, so look, you can say all you want about Cody and I'm not going to be as down on him as a lot of tweets I got. And I didn't even tweet about him. People were just messaging me like, Hey, I really don't like Cody. And you know, you, I hope you guys don't say you like Cody. I don't really like Cody. I think he's a good character. Um, I think he's set himself up nicely to come back to WWE in a couple of years, you know, unless this revolution truly takes off, which I really don't think it will, um, to set him to come back and maybe be a main eventer and have a really solid character. But in ring, he just does not compare to these other guys. And I think having him there with Ibushi kind of hid a lot of his flaws. Uh, that's a fair comeback point. Uh, Cody, shout out to Cody Rhodes, Nay Rhodes for taking that, uh, facial lawn dart when he was thrown to the corner that was a big spot for him to eat but you're right everything else was a bushy from the danger that he puts himself in which he might be the most dangerous wrestler in the world if we're really honest in the anyone that watched the g1 this past year he put himself in more consistently dangerous moves where you're like okay there's a broken neck oh he definitely broke his neck there nope he'll never walk again actually he's blind now after that and that that was really what you saw after that crossroads and obviously that golden uh triangle Triangle, that he does he did it during the cwc in 2016 that is sick he hit a last ride power bomb for two this was a near perfect match. Shout out to these guys because, like we said, their ROH title came off the table in December fifteenth for the last Ring of Honor pay per view. But these two guys wrestled like they were in the main event. I want to see more. Kota Ibushi, by the way, Adam is the wild card for NJPW because nobody talks about him like they do Omega, Okada, Jericho. The last month, you know, or even Cody. People, Ibushi really is the wild card here. Well, I do want to clarify one thing. When I say he's the best wrestler in the world, I mean in-ring. Yeah. Because he doesn't have an out-ring, out-of-ring persona, really. Like, in NJPW, I like Naito the most in terms of that, and we'll talk about him later. But in-ring, talent, ability between the ropes, I mean, Kota, it's really hard to argue. And I will give Cody a little credit, because I did kind of crap on him in-ring, you know, just a couple minutes ago. He had a springboard Hurricanrana that was pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he never would have done that before. Like, I don't ever remember seeing him do a move like that. Maybe he did. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but that was a Bushi's match. That was a A match or A minus match for me. Had that been a Kenny Omega in there, you know, we might be talking early match of the year candidate, but no, it was Cody, uh, A minus B plus. Hey, that would be match of the year for WWE in 2017. True or false? I say true. With considering it's Cody, um, I don't know. Can I get Kota Ibushi, AJ Styles? Can, can, no, we, no, no, can no. we have that? That exact match that we saw, all 15 minutes and 8 no. seconds. No? No, no. Because, again, you have to remember what we named WWE Match of the Year on our awards. It was that fatal four-way at SummerSlam. Yeah. You give me a match like that, I'm, I'm liking that more than this. Because as much as I love Ibushi, he's he's doing the, all the work. You need everyone to do equal parts. And Cody, again, fine. Not terrible. Maybe the best his best match of his career. 
but it just does it doesn't hold up when you go against a guy like Kota Ibushi. All right, this next match on the card, Adam, I have to admit I was one of the least excited for this IWGP Tag Team Championship match. The champs coming in were Killer Elite Squad, Lance Archer and Davey Boy Smith Jr., of course, the son of the British Bulldog. And, and boy, did he look like a stud here when you're that big, when you're 6'5 and that jacked and you can do some kind of, you know, showcase moves that he did. But this match won me over for the storytelling and the physical storytelling because in the end it was LIJ going over. The members in this case were Evil and Sonata. And this was like 90% let's watch Evil and Sonata get the crap beat out of them, like destructively. And then they rallied, and that rally was spectacular, and it led to a magic killer, and it led to a breathtaking moonsault from Sonata, and it led to the 1-2-3, and I came out of there almost like pumping fists, like solid BB-minus match. And I came out of there going, I know I whispered this at the G1 over the summer, but let me say it even louder right now. Sonata is a star, a stud in the making, 29 years old, trained by my guy, the great Muda, and he's kind of like a great Muda-Sting hybrid. He showed you in this match down that stretch that, like, he could be in the main event two years from now. Like, he's going to be that good. Wait, so Dave Meltzer can't be Nick's guy, but the Great Muda can be your guy? Oh, that's my guy. Great Muda can be my guy. <laughs> what does that have to do with Dave Meltzer? Come on. The Great Muda's always been my guy. You gave Nick you gave Nick crap for saying that Meltzer was his guy. And Great Muda, like you like you guys have gone out to dinner together. No, you, no, you no. As a fan. Come on. As a fan. Late 80s WCW <laughs> when he arrived, it changed. I know, I know. I'm just giving you crap. Uh, no, but you're 100% right about Sonata. In the G1, he and Evil too. Evil also it totally impressed me. You go into something like the G1 being someone who – is a wrestling fan, has a general idea of NGPW, but ha- does not have a deep understanding of all the characters. And, and you go, you, you want to watch Omega, you want to see Ibushi, the guys you know. And Evil and Sonata, coming out of the G1, became two of my favorite NGPW wrestlers. Glad they won the titles here. I thought it was a great match. Um, yeah, I, I mean, good for them. Hey, shout out to 6'9", Lance Archer, doing that uh, standing Spanish fly from the top rope, though. Like, didn't see that coming. Like, look... That's So that's an example, and the other example were some of the moves Davey Boy Smith Jr. tried to pull off, like he missed a moonsault from the top rope. Adam, yeah. in NJPW, I feel like every single match, they try to be the match of the night. Just like what made the G1 great, right, was that there's no mailed-in matches. Every single one, they're trying for five stars. They obviously don't do that in WWE. You can argue whether it's part of their system where you're not supposed to do that so you don't wear out the crowd. That's a fine argument if you want to give me that argument. Sometimes I feel like just the way they're booked on purpose, they don't want certain guys to shine every single person on this card tries to shine. And that's part of what builds that match to match excitement and that juice and that buzz that gets you hooked up on it. Absolutely. Let's move on to the never open weight championship. You have Minoru Suzuki defending his title in a haircut match against Hiroki Goto, BC. Dude, this completely overachieved. And it's not a surprise because Suzuki is awesome. He is this maniacal, sadistic, like, dirt hole, right? 49 years old, a legend, former MMA, you know, pioneer. And this was him on full display. Ring doctor's trying to come in to help Goto, and he's kicking him to get out of the way. Like, this was a methodical 80s-style booked match that had no business getting a B-plus rating, but that carried through because of the intensity and the fact that they made you kind of care about the whole haircut stipulation, to to be honest. They really did. And there was the other stipulation was that there would be no seconds allowed. The seconds tried to run in and really the only run on of the night and they kind of ran each other out. They intercepted each other. So it was all about what happened in the ring and for Suzuki to lose this, which is not surprising, but shave his own head. It like he was over. He was able to get over in defeat because he stuck to his guns of being this like stubborn, sadistic fool. He didn't run off as a heel afterwards. and be Like, no, you're not going to cut my hair. He ran off, got his own chair, kicked out the chair. They wanted him to sit in, sat down and said, all right, I'm going to take my cup of it. I'm going to I'm going to shave my head. And I know, Adam, look, I don't I wasn't watching Twitter to see everybody that may have been watching. But I know there's probably got to be at least one WWE Hall of Famer who can appreciate that. If you lose. I get to shave your head. But seriously, how badass is Suzuki shaving his own head? Like, it completely fit his character. Yeah, it was pretty great. Um, It's almost like, and I don't mean to make this comparison because it's Japanese culture, but it's almost like falling on your sword. Like, you did something wrong, you take your penance for it. You know what I mean? So I kind of thought that was cool. Not that he really had much hair to shave. I mean, he had the designs in there that were pretty cool, but... So what, it grows back in three weeks and his barber do it again? Like, he's fine. But didn't they try to explain on the broadcast, or maybe I heard this elsewhere, that in the Japanese culture, it's custom to shave your head when you when you screw up publicly and you're caught? It's almost like a, a way to publicly a say shaming. I didn't hear that on the broadcast, um, but if, I believe they said it, and I'm sure if they said it, it's true. I did like the, the spot that really stood out to me, and 
with Suzuki, you're always going to get the strong style, style, the hard ways. He just slapped the crap out of Goto in the middle of the ring for like 35 seconds. And he, it was like he was taking MMA strikes. I mean, it was pretty brutal and impressive. But a- any Suzuki match you get, you're going to get something like that. So I enjoyed it. I enjoy him uh, a lot more than I thought I would when I found out kind of what he was all about. He's someone who, when he's on a match card, like, I'm not skipping over that match because it's going to be brutal. Yes. And it's going to be fun. I named him to our all G1 team over the summer in the fifth spot for that same reason. It was like, it's like, kind of like Toriano's comedy. It was like, I know this match shouldn't be good, but I can't turn away from it because something brutal in his case is going to happen. And I mean, look at how, just to close on him, mean, he's 49 and he works a style that is appropriate for a 49 year old. It's perfect. And look how much a match like that offset the high flying matches around it that kept you entertained without a letdown. That's like booking. That's, that's how you lay out a card. And, and by the way, it's not just, it's not just the gimmick, although obviously that helps, but you have him at 49 and if he challenged Okada, right? You could say, okay, you know, that, there's a legitimate match. It's a veteran who wants one last chance at the title and blah, blah, blah. Then you have in WWE 50-year-old Kane, you know, going up against Brock Lesnar. It's like, what? Like, he's not in shape to do the match. It's it's just a total dichotomy of the, the guys are the same age. They've both been wrestling for the same and, and competing for the same amount of time. And in one culture and with one gimmick, it makes sense and storytelling. And in another, it it doesn't. Um, and see, I, it would make it? sense, I should say. It's kind of like one more nail in Katie Vick's coffin. Ooh. <laughs> That's exactly right. All right, let's move on to the IWGP Junior Heavyweight Championship. Marty Skrull came in with the title, defended against Takahashi, Kushida, and Will Ospreay, who ended up going over as the new champion, BC. You called it in your recap a beautiful disaster of wild spots, near falls, and oh, (gasps) moments. I thought it was amazing. What did you think besides that? Besides that, I thought uh, a couple people really had fantastic performances being who they are coming in. It's like this was a almost a perfect version of melding high spots together, and it totally lived up on that regard. But, like, Will Ospreay really put himself over as a daredevil, right? Kushida really put himself over as this, like, high-flying creative guy who does the kind of moves that other people don't do. I mean, he turns like a Hurricane Rana suplex-type hybrid off the top rope into an arm bar and then r- rotates into a submission, to like a triangle choke MMA submission. And then you have Marty Skrull, who's the least athletic of the four, the least likely to do high spots. In fact, I think his gimmick and mic work is like three to four times better than his actual in-ring work, yet he nearly stole the show as the defending champion by being such a great heel, representing the Bullet Club, coming in with that whole crow-like entrance, and then doing little things like taping guys' wrists to to the barrier outside to keep them out of the match. This match had a lot of wrinkles of psychology to it, even though it was a a, a, a high-spot soup. It was like a, a mixed-up lunch together of really great moments. And in the end, I got to give them credit and JPW for putting the belt on Osprey and having him win it because he's a breathtaking aerial artist who takes a ton of chances. He's only like 24 years old and people will already argue that he's washed up. Like seriously, people that followed his run in, in, in Ring of Honor in England and all that are like, you should have saw him two years ago, three years ago. Well, this match was him trying to top anyone. Do you notice anyone that had a big spot? It was like 10 seconds later, Osprey did something death defying. I, this match, you can make an outside case that it was the best of the night. I gave it A minus. It was right in that wheelhouse. It was also Osprey finally getting over on Marty Scroll, who just consistently beat him every time they fought. So there was some good storytelling in there. I'm going to paraphrase Maro Inalo. This is cruiserweight wrestling. This is NJPW. I don't need gimmicks. Give me the flips. Give me the fun, entertaining, exciting action. I don't need purple ring ropes. I don't need a special cruiserweight title. It's the ugliest thing in the entire world. I don't need terrible gimmicks like Gentleman Jack Gallagher and uh, Mustafa Ali. He doesn't even have it. Like, it's terrible. Like, <laughs> what's going Ranger, when you watch junior heavyweights, look, look, wrestling in NJPW is, we, we're saying it's better than WWE. That's not a huge surprise here, okay? But when you watch junior heavyweight wrestling in NJPW, which is basically cruiserweight wrestling in WWE, it's so much drastically different than even the heavyweight wrestling is because they allow talent to shine. These guys still have characters. They still have storylines. But when it comes to junior heavyweights, what matters most legitimately is what happens in the ring. And in NJPW, if you like that type of wrestling, you're going to get it. And you got it in folds here. It was fantastic match. 
B plus A minus match for me. And Osprey is a major, major talent. Oh, they got to get him in WWE before he before he breaks, yeah. before he you know flames out. Not maybe flames out in an Evan Bourne way, but flames out in like an injury way. Like they got to get that guy hooked up. Absolutely. Let's did you move wait, on a did little. Did you pop for Dar- for Daryl Takahashi? Did you pop for him? Because that's your guy. Uh, well, yeah. I mean, I'll probably always pop for someone whose gimmick is that. Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like manic, different, you know, strange, crazy. Um, and I like him in the ring. He just, he's, every single time I see him in a match, I like him, but he's definitely not my top, in my top 10. I mean, not with Evil Sonata, you know, Los Angobernambles as an entire oh, yeah. faction, Okada, Omega, you know, uh, Ishii, Ibushi, like he's not up there for me, but yeah, I like him. I mean, I think, I think Daryl's fun. I like you know? Daryl a lot it, more fun. than I like Hiromu Takahashi. Like he's a decent wrestler, but the gimmick with the, with the stuffed animal and all that, that's, that's where, that's where it's amazing. Daryl is, yeah, Daryl is the key and the fact that, the fans like it and buy into it, and the announcers like it and buy into it. It, it just makes it – it's perfect. Uh, I want to move on, though. IWGP Intercontinental Championship here. I think it's fair for me to start this off by saying disappointment for both of us. Uh, Hiroshi Tanahashi, again, we referenced it before. It's a pretty common comparison. He's like the John Cena of NJPW against Switchblade, Jay Wright, BC, you know – Tell me from from one to five, how disappointed were you in this match? I was a full five in terms of disappointment. This turned out to be the popcorn match. It turns out that we needed this match, by the way, because of the the craziness of the previous matches before it. We needed a slower match that was more methodical, that had rest holds. But I think this disappointed to me. I scored it a C, and it, it definitely was the most disappointing because I expected more from Jay White because this felt like it was going to be a showcase opportunity for him. They gave him the switchblade gimmick. They're really pushing him at age 25, putting him in like the, the, the match that got the third highest billing against basically their John Cena. And I felt like Jay White completely under delivered. And ultimately my prediction of him winning was really going to be set up on the idea that one, he would deliver and that two, the company would felt enough that he was ready to do that, that they would give him that spot. In the end, he wasn't ready for prime time. So the fact that the booking ended with the injured, aging Tanahashi selling out with these, you know, one frog splash after another to get the win actually kind of made a sense in real life. Who knows if they booked that beforehand or on the fly because Jay White didn't do one of either two things. One, he didn't blow you away with high spots and crazy moves. So maybe as a more muscular guy, it's not his skill set. That's perfectly fine. Well, then, two, he wasn't the sadistic, maniacal heel he needed to be by focusing on one body part on on the real-life injured Tanahashi and doing it in a way like Minoru Suzuki and later Chris Jericho did where it really came off as maniacal. Instead, he wasn't awful. He was just average. And there's no room, Adam, in the third most important match in the most important match of the year with all these extra level importance tied to the card because of the revolution, Campbell, it was, you can't be average. You have to be spectacular. The biggest fail here, and you mentioned it, is that he did not wrestle to his character. Like, imagine if you had mankind in the ring and he wasn't manic. Like, you know, that's what this is. They had the opportunity not just to have this guy go over and shine, which he didn't in the ring, but to have him develop this character as someone who's a legitimate threat not just to Tanahashi, but to the rest of NJPW, and nothing in that match proved it. There, there was nothing sadistic about him. There was nothing that made you think this guy deserved to be on this level or in the future deserves to be on this level. Now, look, everyone gets better. People learn from their mistakes and, and move on here. But, I mean, if this was hero or zero, this card, almost every match you could give a hero. This match was a zero. And I didn't get a lot right about you know Wrestle Kingdom 12 in terms of our predictions and preview and what I thought would happen. But this one I nailed. This is a spot where the big man goes over, the ace goes over, Tanahashi goes over. And I want to shout out our guy Omar Al Rashid from Australia, big time listener of our show. He was DMing me after the show, and he was, his defense on this Adam was almost like the storyline played out the way it was supposed to be. That White isn't on Tanahashi's level. That he came out like big balls and was talking trash, and that he, you know, and I, and I can understand that. But again, our double point on him not delivering at least. He could have still delivered and then lost the match and it would have won, right? But he didn't deliver in the end and that's what got me upset. So. That's a fair point in the tweet, but yes, he still could have delivered in the ring. There's there's no question about that. BC, let's do this. Let's go on to the double main event. I'm starting with you on all these because it's your opinion that matters. Your name is on the marquee, the IWGP United States Heavyweight Championship. This was a no disqualification match. Alpha versus Omega. Kenny Omega defending against Chris Jericho, man, um, what a match. What a match is right. Uh, 
it did live, it actually did live up to expectations. What it didn't do was what we thought it maybe could do, which would be like, go beyond expectations and have you like talking about where Jericho is going to go next. And it was just blah, blah, blah. It was amazing. Whatever. It didn't do that. But again, that's not a criticism for the fact that Jericho's 47. And for the fact that these two kind of were thrown together with no storyline at the last minute and the fact that they were shouldering so much of the reason why people came to see the show, man, did they deliver. And the reason why they delivered Adam and why this was kind of a mini classic and why I gave it an A minus rating. I'd be happy to give it a four and a half star rating under a five star system. I could be even coerced into 4.75. And the reason is it had a story that was really consistently told. And these two guys sold out like hell to tell that story, meaning 35 minute match. They basically had a cart Jericho off. Both guys emptied the tank. It was just like passion personified. And maybe the story wasn't what we wanted. And let me explain that real quick. When I say the story wasn't what we wanted, the story didn't carry over. There wasn't bullet club involvement. It wasn't a kind of story that leads you to believe there's a second act. The story was only about the match. But the story was basic, simple, and strong. It was Omega trying to get to that one-winged angel and trying to finish it, right? And the maniacal heel Jericho doing everything he can to avoid that. And up to the point of that big dramatic spot late when Jericho takes the one-winged angel and then gets his hand on the rope. And that's your big spot, you know, your big pop moment. It had a lot. It just didn't maybe have the kind of story I thought it would. I'm not disappointed, though, Adam, because when you're talking high spots, when you're talking Jericho shining in the ways that we thought he could, I was very impressed. It was impressive. The more than anything, and this is what I expected coming in, so it wasn't much of a surprise. The story was the the match was way more about storytelling than it was match quality, and that's okay because it's not Kenny Omega Kazuchika Okada; it's Kenny Omega 47 year old Chris Jericho, and. Coming out of this match, I'm going to say this first before I praise the entire match because it was great. Jericho's not washed, but he's like, what, 18 months away, 24 months away from being washed? He He's not the same Chris Jericho, and he can't be at age 47 going through as much as he's done. Never really stopped wrestling despite moving on to other areas of his life like his music with Fozzie. But you saw in this match a guy who, if you're counting on him to lead your revolution from a match quality standpoint – you're just not going to get it, and it has nothing to do with him being bad in the ring. He's still great. You saw him in WWE a couple months ago, still being very good. It's just when you go up against someone like Kenny Omega, it's extremely tough to live up to that level of match quality expectation. Now, outside of that, in-ring storytelling, outside ring storytelling, incredible. You had Chris Jericho grabbing a photographer's camera and oh, flipping yeah. off the fans. You had Chris Jericho um, – knocking down, what was it, Red Shoes Uno, and then putting his son in the Lion Tamer. <laughs> Incredible. You had him doing the walls of Jericho, converting it into the Lion Tamer in the ring. You, had, you uh, Jericho propped up a chair, uh, you know, in between the ring ropes by the turnbuckle, slammed Kenny Omega's head into it a few times, and then Omega called that chair spot back later in the match for the finisher with the one-winged angel to finish off Jericho. I mean, you could go on and on. Um, Kenny, I'm, about, I'm giving Jericho a lot of credit here. Kenny Omega, what did he do? A splash off the top rope outside the over the barricade, outside the ring, onto the announcer's table, knocked out Don Callis again. Like, come on. I mean, there's so many major spots in this match. The storytelling was great. The match quality was very, very good. Again, um, yeah, it's a 4.5, I guess I'll give it. Uh, uh, an A. It's an A match. Absolutely. Wait, wait, sorry for that hiccup here. Do you hear that? Do you hear that noise, Adam? Is that what I think it is? It's 10 a.m. Oh on my the, god. It's 10 a.m. on the East Coast. Hello, ladies. As a bonus, on your ITC NJPW Wrestle Kingdom 12 recap show, we've got hot take time with nasty Nick Costos. Nick, I take it you just watched this match. You're so fired up, it got you out of bed. What the hell is your reaction to Jericho well, look, Omega? BC, it might be 10 a.m. on the East Coast, but you know one thing is for sure. Handsome Nick does not rest in peace. He can stay up all night, except for the time that he spent sleeping last night. I had to wake up early this morning at 9 a.m. to watch Jericho and Omega, which I just did. And um, I don't know how much of this match you guys have already discussed, but Oh, my God. Um, I was blown away watching it in my bed on my computer. 
marking out, like legitimately marking out at moments of this match. The extended stretch with with Omega in the in the walls of Jericho. Will he tap? Won't he tap? All the near falls in that sequence. Um, this was just a spectacular match. And my takeaway, guys, this was a straight up WWE style match. That was a WWE match they did. That was not a New Japan match. That was a WWE match that they did on the biggest stage in New Japan. And I just thought it was fascinating, the crowd reaction, because if they had done that match in America, there would have been this is awesome chance through the entire match. I feel like the crowd almost didn't know how to react to it. And the crowd wasn't as loud as I maybe would have liked them to be throughout the match. But I think it's because, like I said, that was a straight-up WWE-style match. There is no doubt in my mind that at some point in the near future, Kenny Omega is going to be in <laughs> WWE. I, it was just it was just sensational. All right, let me ask you. Bottom, both guys were awesome. I like that take about this being a WWE match, and I think you're right because it was very storyline-heavy, and it had a lot of little mini-swerves in it that felt WWE-like in little moments. But it did mix – properly with the NJPW high spot style. But here's my question to you. I ultimately rated this match, Nick. If there's a middle ground between four and a half and four and three quarter stars, I put this match here. But here's where I'm wondering if I'm at fault. Am I making it that because it's not the five and six star matches we've seen from Kenny in the past? Like if this was five years ago or 1998, this is a slam dunk five star match. And I can admit that. So am I wrong basically saying this is an A minus Four and a half, four point seven five star match. Where did you sit on that? I mean, it's it's it feels asinine to say like you're wrong if you're going to say four point seven five as opposed to five. For me, I'm going the full Monty. I'm going five on this one. And, and, and I, you know, sometimes and I've said this before. You know, I, I sometimes rate with my emotions, right? You know, we were at the SummerSlam main event, and I gave that match five stars because emotionally it affected me and it caused me to mark out like I was watching something real. And I've said this before, you know, wrestling becomes Shakespeare when you sort of lose yourself in the moment and you forget that what you're watching is pre-planned and choreographed and you're rooting for it as if it's real. When Kenny Omega was in the walls of Jericho, I'm sitting there being like, please don't tap out. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, like I'm rooting for a real winner in this match that is pre-planned and it's awesome. Like I was fully emotionally invested. And the thing was, like, I went into it, and I said to you guys, I was a little nervous about this match going into it. I said that, and I kind of got killed for it. But they built so beautifully up into those moments in the end, the final five or ten minutes, where I was just, I just lost it. And I was cheering in my bed at 9.50 a.m. on the East Coast. And, uh, and what an awesome finish. And the thing about WWE that it kind of was, was you sort of saw some of the spots being telegraphed. Like when Jericho went to that last lion salt, I feel like you could tell where it was going to the final one-winged angel from Omega. So some of the stuff was kind of choreographed in a WWE-esque way. But to me, that didn't take anything out of it. Um, it was just five, five stars for me because, because it caused me to mark the F out. So I think what's funny, Nick, is that we have found Kenny Omega's Achilles heel, which is taking the code breaker. It's like the only move he does not sell perfectly. But aside from that, what I loved most about the match, and I'm curious if you feel the same way, and I mentioned this just before you got on, was the ent- the heel, the entirety of the heel antics, okay, that Chris Jericho performed throughout the match outside the ring early on taking the camera. And so that's part one. And part two the actual ending of the match, because they didn't need to drag it out Omega Okada style with a ton of false finishes. What they did was they hit the one-winged angel. Jericho grabbed the bottom rope. He said, you know what? I have to do a little bit more. They got the chair spot, called back the chair that was kind of posted up in the, you know, in, in between the turnbuckles, I guess you can call it, that he kept ramming his head into, and he used a chair to finish off Jericho. I think those two moments of the match, and those are, they bookend the match, really. For me, is what put it in that 4.5, 4.75 star territory for me. Well, I want to start with the codebreaker point. And, you know, I, I was driving that bandwagon that I didn't like the way Omega took it the first couple times. I actually liked the way that he took it in this match. And when they showed the replay of it, like you kind of saw where Omega was coming from and the way that he sells it was he's going straight down face first onto the knee as opposed to doing like the exaggerated bounce off that we've seen uh, work in WWE. So I actually thought that was pretty good. I thought it actually worked in this match. Um, let's give Chris Jericho a ton of credit here because this is a guy that has reinvented himself so many times throughout the years. Um, I think that this might be, dare I say, my favorite iteration of Chris Jericho, and I've liked many iterations of Chris Jericho. This vicious heel Jericho is so great. And the closest thing that we saw to this kind of 
was his WCW run. Not so much even his late his run in the late 2000s, that feud with Michaels. This was more kind of violent, right? And that 90s cruiserweight Jericho in WCW had the twinge of violence, but it was also mixed in with over-the-top comedy, whereas this was just really just violent and pure heel So I don't want to see the end of this current Chris Jericho character. Like, whether it's in WWE or he stays in New Japan or whatever it is Chris Jericho does, I want this alpha character to continue because I think it's it's awesome. I think that's a great point, Silver King. Now, as far as the finish of the match goes, um, like I I said it already, like that that ten minute closing sequence with with Omega in the walls, all the V triggers, Jericho getting his hands on the ropes after the first one winged angel, and then uh, the Omega chair toss into the back when he's on the second rope, one winged angel onto the chair. Which, by the way. I have no idea how that didn't, how Jericho's neck isn't going to be sore for two months after taking that move. Um, just, just sensational, expert storytelling. What a match! Five stars for me. All right, Nick, I have two ten-second questions to answer you on the way out here, and we appreciate the call-in and the instant, you know, syringe-filled passion of performance-enhancing audio that you are delivering. Number one. Give me your 30-second synopsis on where they go next. And what I mean is, Jericho, the one thing that didn't happen was there was no tease that there will be more. We don't know what's going to happen at the New Year's Dash card tomorrow night, which Jericho will be a part of, or tomorrow morning, however you want to say it. Does Jericho go back for the Rumble? Does Omega come back come to WWE this calendar year? How did this night change your opinion of that topic? I, I don't know. And I don't mean to cop out with that answer, but anything that I say to you right now is just going to be a total guess. So I'm going to default to what I've been saying for a couple months now, which is I felt like this was all not necessarily a ploy, but if you want to get real conspiracy theory, like I said it from the beginning that I felt that Vince was sort of in on this the entire time. And I thought that this was a harbinger, Kenny Omega, eventually coming to WWE. And as I'm thinking about it now, and this is the kind of cool thing about the rawness here, I just watched the match and I'm just kind of collecting my thoughts. Like I said, this was unequivocally, this was a WWE match. If they did that in the main event of a WWE pay-per-view, you got the this is awesome chance. I don't think that happened by accident. I do think that Kenny Omega will be in WWE. Do I think it'll be before WrestleMania? I mean, I have no idea. My guess is as good as anybody else's, and he did Jamoke on the street. But I do think that Omega will be in WWE at some point in the near future. Final question, Nick. You're the most passionate man in North America. You're also one of the most busiest men in sports broadcasting in North America. Sometimes <laughs> we, we don't get the pleasure of hearing your voice. I don't think you're going to come here and tell the fans this. I know that over uh, the last several months... I've lost a lot of things, and one of them has been my smile. But can you tell the fans on whether they'll be hearing more Nick Costos in 2018 on this program? Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I haven't lost my smile. The only thing that I'm losing is sleep because of, because of football season here. So, listen, fans know I'm going to be really quick about this. So you may hear me on an end, and I'm, this is going to sound like I'm, I'm going into business for myself. Give me 10 seconds, 15 seconds here to get through this year so the fans can understand. <laughs> so I do a wrestling pod, an NFL pod also in addition. Here's the difference between the two. My, my job is preparation for the NFL podcast that I do a couple times a week, half hour, you know, tw- twice a week. Do the WWE pod for you guys. That requires an, ex- an insane time investment because I'm not going to half-ass it. Handsome Nick only does it one way. He goes raw dog straight through <laughs> all the way. And then he's got to watch five hours of WWE programming a week, and that's difficult when Handsome Nick's in the office for 12 or 14 hours a day. So there is a lot going on at the moment. So it is a brief hiatus for Handsome Nick. But don't you worry. He will be back on the In This Corner podcast. That is the plan in WrestleMania season as we ramp up for WrestleMania 34 and hopefully Kenny Omega at some point, my favorite wrestler, coming to WWE. All right. Handsome Nick, thank you for your time. Maybe you can get back to sleep, swipe and write. Whatever happens in that consummation station, oh, I'm you call I'm an apartment. Already. Like, I'm <laughs> wired after that match. I'm going to watch uh, Naito Okada now. Sounds great. Talk to you later. Enjoy. Adam Silverstein. Uh, I want to spin off on, on what we ended there with Nick about what's next. Okay, so Omega and Jericho, they just gave us classic match. Like I said, it didn't tease. Instead of talking right now about is Jericho going to stay with NJPW, notice we're instead talking about did we just see the beginning of Omega instead coming to WWE. Now, I don't think it's that close. I don't think it's that, you know, no. I stand from the beginning that I think – Omega is more likely 
to go on a run for the big NJPW title and try to see what he can make of this company as the face of it. Because he's still not the face of it, let's be honest. He's the face globally in what they're trying to do in English-speaking markets. He's not even the face of the brand in, in Japan where, it, where it's rooted, all right? So there's more to accomplish still. What do you think happens next? What do you think we've learned from this match about where whether Jericho comes back or if you want to stick with Omega, where he's going inside of NJPW? Does this clear the runway for him to make a run at the big belt now? Well, I think a lot of it depends really on New Japan's plans because, look, and I don't want to spoil the last match here, but we're going to get into it very soon anyway. You know, I thought Naito was going to beat Okada for the title and there was going to be a title change. And if Naito's not beating Okada, are they really going to put Omega over Okada? Maybe they will. Maybe do, there's well, another three matches you, here. Do they have to do that to keep him? I don't think they do. I, I don't think. I think there's. I think there's a ceiling of success in New Japan Pro Wrestling, and being the IWGP Heavyweight Champion is that ceiling. And he's not there, so he has room to grow. I mean, he has a feud with Naito. He can do. He has a feud with Okada. He can do. You know, continue it. Um, in this time, you know, and have him win the title, and maybe Okada you know, has faced, you know, his greatest threat and, and then wins the title back from him and then Kenny leaves. But that transpires over a period of time. You know, that doesn't just happen in a three-month span. I I am 99% sure we're not seeing Kenny Omega at WrestleMania. May, may we see him at WrestleMania 35? Okay, I would buy that. I think yeah. that's a possibility. But I think he has another year run in New Japan in him at a minimum. Um, and at least to give them the opportunity to put the belt on him. And if they're not going to do that, WWE will, because they're going to have to probably in order to get him over there. They did it with AJ Styles. I don't think they promised Styles the belt, but it became pretty obvious when Styles got in WWE that he was going to be a champion. And Kenny Omega can do that exact same thing. So I don't think he's long for New Japan. I've never thought that. You know, once you become that level of talent, you may not want to go to WWE, but at some point you realize you need to go to WWE, and I think that's what's eventually going to happen with Kenny Omega. Yeah, you know, I still think it's a couple more years off, but I think they're going to have to really put their best foot forward. It's not just, hey, you have the U.S. title, you're the face of our North American expansion. It's going to have to end up being you're good enough to be our face and actually be Okada clean for the title. We're going to get to that in a couple more seconds. Close on Jericho, we just don't know. We just don't know until we see the New Year's Dash could he show up at the Royal Rumble? Yes, he could. Vince could easily open that wallet and say, hey, great work. You know, maybe you helped me talk into Kenny's ear a little bit. You put on a great match. They were talking about WWE just as much as they were talking about NJPW. Now come back to this Rumble and we'll give you a lot of money. Who knows? He's still got that cruise coming up that's going to involve Ring of Honor. We don't know. But, Adam, what we do know is NJPW gave us a main event that was worthy of being the main event in the end. And that, get ready for BC's hot take was a better match when you look at the totality than even Coda Cody and Kenny Jericho. And that's the main event. I, I thought Oh, are you best. are you saying that like like that's a stretch? That's a no doubter. This was the best match of the night. I mean easily. It, and it was because of how it delivered and finished and how they played with your emotions and how they set up the pins and how they knocked them down. Yeah, look, it, I mean Night, uh, Tetsuya Naito is my favorite wrestler in NJPW because there's the mix of what I need from a professional wrestler is I need in-ring talent, style, storytelling, psychology, but I also need character. And the guy has a character and he plays it not just walking to the ring, but throughout the entirety of a match, no matter how tired he is, no matter if he's trying to sell or, or if he's the one kind of, you know, getting the hot run in, in the match at the given time, he's selling his character 24 7 and he's incredible and i'll be honest i was disappointed that he did not win the title from okada that said they are building kazushka okada into hulk hogan i mean yeah. i don't know that there's another comparison steve austin lost the rock lost triple h lost Shawn michaels lost the undertaker lost not at wrestlemania but he lost so either they are building him into the undertaker in terms of he'll never lose at wrestle kingdom and He'll just eventually lose at some point this year, or they're building him into New Japan's Hulk Hogan as a guy who simply cannot be defeated, and anyone that does defeat him, he gets back over on, or is a situation like Kenny Omega where he already beat him twice, and the time he lost was kind of a throwaway anyway because it wasn't for the title. Yeah, so, fair. A great way to say it. I mean, so Kazuchika Okada, to set it straight, you know, what, 30 years old, in his absolute prime, already the longest reigning IWGP heavyweight championship in terms of this single reign. He's won it a few times before that. Over a year, 
our 500 something days. I mean, it's been spectacular. Yeah. Defends the title in the main event here against Tetsuya Naito, who had won the G1 Classic over the summer to earn this shot. So a little bit of disappointment for people on Twitter here because it would have made sense, they thought, for Naito, who right now is the most red-hot in Japan superstar that NJPW has. Merch for LIJ selling like crazy. Naito's got that heel but you love him thing going. This could have been the... The way to put the icing on the cake for his four-year redemption story. And they didn't. And I think you can argue one argument you just made that, look, Okada's that big of a star, right? And for him to maybe eventually pass the torch to Omega, if that's their plans, then that's going to make sense for that to happen. Or maybe he's just too good and has the full package that why take him off the throne right now? That could be one thing. Two, let's not forget, Okada's manager, Gato, Gato is the booker for New Japan Pro Wrestling. So maybe that's part of it, right? That could also be part of it. But I'm not upset the way this played out because of the way that they booked the move set to get to the finish. And the reason why I may have hinted at them that it was controversial to say this was the match of the night, maybe to you and others it wasn't, was this match wasn't reliant on high spots. It wasn't reliant on electric energy from start to finish. In fact, it started very methodically and just built up over time. It wasn't, it was physical, but it wasn't like that wasn't the calling card, right? There were fun spots, but that wasn't the calling card. The calling card was the story coming in and how they told it. And ultimately what allowed this to go next level was the reversals of finishing moves. And it was just a crazy stretch down the finish of one guy hitting their finisher, but he's too wary and worn out to get the pin. And then later he hits his actual finisher, but there's a kick out. And then somebody goes for a second finisher and it's reversed into their finisher. And that craziness got this New Japan crowd so electric that, Adam, this was a goosebump type finish. And you know it's great when the Tokyo Dome is popping. What I mean by that is these Japanese crowds in any combat sport, they sit on their hands. They're quiet. They applaud at certain moments, but they're not raging like European or American crowds. But they deliver the cheers when they've been properly built and set up to do. And Adam, the finish from the crowd was as electric as I've ever heard a New Japan crowd. These were like two showmen who were, you know, conducting an orchestra and had had the control of the crowd in their hands. And that's why this match, which again, start to finish, wasn't as entertaining as Omega Jericho or as crazy as that fatal four way that they had with the with the junior heavies, was a better match overall. Because it had a starting point, they got you to that ending point, and they got me, Adam, two to three times where I'm like, the match is over right here, this is a solid four-star match, oh no, we're going next level, and in the end, this is, you know, four, seven, five, an A match, close to perfect, this is as good as it gets. Yeah, the Naito, when he hit, when he hit Destino and was able to get the cover, I was like, wow, like they're doing it, this is great. So they sold me, I was, I was believing that there was a new champion, I said it on Twitter, BC, and I mentioned, mentioned it to you offline as well. My favorite spot of the entire show. It's weird. It, this isn't a huge spot. My favorite spot was Naito's running uh, into Okada, hits a spinning heel kick on him. Okada takes it, kind of rebounds against the turnbuckle, and comes back with a falling drop kick. And Naito just flips over. And it, it's not a big spot. It's not a finisher. It's not you know a death-defying move. But it just showed you how something very, very simple in the middle of a match could make it stand out that much. And to me, it stood out that much. Um, it's a five-star match for me. I don't I don't need to justify it with a 4.75 or, or go anything like that. It was a perfect match. They, they told the story throughout. Uh, the psychology was great of Okada getting exhausted in the middle and yeah. you thinking, whoa, it's over. Naito's just going to dominate him from here. Then all of a sudden, I forgot how they got to it, but they are both in the middle of the ring and the camera zooms in on Okada has the wrist lock and he's about to be in control of the match and hit the Rainmaker. Oh, they're both down. Yeah, they're both down, yet Okada's hanging on to the wrist. It was just one of those brilliant moments. Yeah. So so for all of those reasons, I mean, it was perfect. I mean, you don't pop the way you popped, BC, at the end of that match for a match that's not perfect. And I, yes, I think things have been distorted and you and I discussed this as well today um, off this show that – Match rating systems have kind of been distorted a little bit because of the Omega Okada trilogy and, and some of the Meltzer things that, that we've own, seen. Meltzer blew up his own system, right? When you go, when you had five yeah. star matches and you go to six, you don't go to five two point two five. You go to six. It did blow things up, right? So, so because of that, I think we've lost sight of what a five star match is. It, it, you know, this isn't a six star match. No, it doesn't get extra credit, but it's a five star match. I mean, this was as good of a wrestling match as I've seen. 
without being the greatest wrestling match that I've ever seen, which was Omega Okada one. And I, I don't know that there's anything wrong with saying that. Well, that's, that's where, that's why, like, I almost course corrected these match gradings to, to like, I did, I gave A minus to Jericho Omega, I gave this an A, when you might, that's the point that I tried to make with Nick earlier, both may have actually been five star A plus matches, right? It's just that the, the, the system is so off that you either course correct and try to put them back into reality, cause they're not five and a half star matches, or it's like, it's, it's all over the place, but look, it's good stuff. And for everything that we praised here, Adam, I want to end with one, I want to end in the area where I think that they didn't get it right and maybe you want to you know pile on on this afterwards but sure there wasn't enough bullet club in the show and maybe that was planned by new japan pro wrestling because you know they wanted okada and naito to stay as the main event right that's their guys and they didn't they didn't panic and put jericho as the main event right they made a dual main event but they didn't panic and put kenny on last which they could have done even though he didn't have the big belt right they could have just said look this is the match people care about the most I don't think overall there was enough Bullet Club play into any kind of potential storylines, into run-ins, into being by each other's side like they normally are, right? You didn't have the, the, the Young Bucks at ringside during this Jericho match pounding on the apron like you normally see. I think that's a fail because you have more American eyes on this product this morning, Thursday, than you have ever had before in JPW. So if you, why wouldn't you play up Hot Topic, the being the elite show, all that kind of stuff that goes with it? And make this show very Bullet Club centric, like a lot of the previous pay per views were. I don't really understand that. So you're right about a fail, about there being a failure. You're wrong about what the failure was. I don't need Bullet Club throughout the show. There, you got Bullet Club in three matches. Okay, you got the Young Bucks to open the show. You got Kenny Omega basically to close the show, and then you had them in what the open weight six man tag team or the, the never six man tag yeah. team match um, in the middle of the show. You got enough Bullet Club. I understand what you're saying. You want them to kind of get the shine of, oh, and you had Cody too, by the way. Oh, and you had Marty Scroll, by right, the way. Sorry. Together, there were well, five but, Bullet Club but matches. But here's my point. Not together though. Not ever together. No. No, that's true. And maybe there could have been some support like for the Young Bucks in that match or people helping Marty by the ring. Um, you know, I, the Young Bucks did walk out though initially with Omega before kind of sending him to the ring, I believe. Am I correct about that or am I totally misremembering? I do not remember seeing that, no. All right. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but regardless of any of that, I don't, I didn't need Bullet Club. What I needed was New Japan to finally understand that they need to cater to an American audience and they had the opportunity to do it here. I'm not going to rehash the website stuff and the streaming stuff that we've, we talked about. We talked about it pretty often. We did it on the preview on Wednesday show. What I'm going to mention is the fact that you have the IWGP heavyweight champion winning a match and he's speaking in Japanese at the end of the show. You don't have to do it the whole show, but the end of the show, the biggest moment after this guy retains his title, and there's no English translation. I'm talking about there's vignettes in between each match that tells you why each match is important. And outside of the occasional things that are in English, like talking about Jericho and Omega as an example and Cody, there's no English. There's no English translation. What WWE does great to cater to its international audiences is on its broadcasts for Germany and for you know Japan and for whatever language you're listening to it in. They're doing vignettes in other languages so you understand what you're watching. They're not just expecting you to know English. Now, granted, New Japan probably doesn't have the money or the resources to necessarily run dual broadcasts. But if it's a vignette, you can put subtitles on it. Like, it's not that hard. You can automatically do that on your main broadcast. Knowing how many – I think they said, what, on the broadcast, there was 10,000 new subscribers or tens of thousands of new subscribers. Well, guess what? You better take advantage of that because they saw Chris Jericho and they saw a great main event. And they probably said, all right, cool, I'll cancel next month. I'm I, done. I think you're fully and right. You, you, you didn't give them a reason to stay, and, that, and that's their fault. There seems to be a stubbornness there in protecting the Japanese part about it, right? Like serving the Japanese fans to not alienate them, but you need to create a separate broadcast in the end. That's what you, And that's your point. You need to create a, basically it's not just an English commentary. You need to create almost a separate broadcast, just like you need to have a separate English-only weekly show that's not just matches on Access TV. That is something a little uh, bit more. A separate broadcast would really be nice. Subtitles. Now, for Okada, you're probably not going to get subtitles. But they could have someone on broadcast who knows Japanese at the end of the promo say, all right, here's what he just said, okay? But during the vignettes, subtitles is enough. You don't necessarily have to have so a second broadcast with language. But if there's subtitles, at least on the English production or on the entire show, then everyone that's watching knows what's happening. I didn't know – like, I knew the storylines because, Brian, you and I researched it because it's our job to do so, okay? But if we didn't and we went into this and we saw an awesome match between Cody and Ibushi, 
you would never know Ibushi was Omega's best friend, like, or, or former tag team partner in DDCT wrestling. Like, they explained that in the vignette, and I noticed it because I could see what, you know, what they were doing, uh, and I recognized what it was from. But they're not, you know, they're not giving you the storyline. So again, you don't have to cater to the American audience per se. You don't have to quote unquote go down to our level, but you need to keep us interested. You got to give us a reason to keep the subscription. And they didn't do that. That's, that's very well said altogether. In the end, it was a success. It got us entertained. We just intended to go a few minutes and we went an hour on this recap show. So that shows you what we had right there for Nick Costos, who called in for Adam Silverstein. This is the Brian Campbell. Follow us on Twitter and follow that In This Corner Twitter podcast account, Adam, which is at In This Corner CBS. Better. <laughs> for a second, follow. I didn't think you were going to get the name. Like, I, For a second, I didn't think you knew what the handle was. You I'll better be follow that. You also better do this. Goodbye and good night, Ben. We out.